Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Trey, thank you for joining us for a Tuesday edition of our podcast. Um, revenge is a dish best served cold. House Republicans are proving that it can taste uh, pretty good, warmed up also. For, for those wondering, and that would be almost everyone, how a Republican-controlled House squandered its majority and has been rendered feckless for three weeks so far, look no further than October the 3rd. Uh, That's the day Kevin McCarthy was ousted. Eight House Republicans linked arms, held hands, whatever visual image you want to conjure up with uh, Rashida Tlaib, Ilhan Omar, Adam Schiff, Nancy Pelosi, and any other House Democrat you can think of. Eight Republicans joined hands, linked arms with every single House Democrat to kick out the last person who was actually able to get 217 Republican votes. Uh, It is becoming increasingly clear uh, these eight, maybe y'all are like me. My daughter used to love to play this game called Crazy Eights. I didn't really like it that much, but I acted like I did, but. These crazy eight had no plan, no replacement, no real reason for undoing the will of the conference. And so if you want to understand what happened on October the 3rd, let's back up. We'll review. If you want to understand what's happening right now, go back to October the 3rd. If you want to understand what happened on October the 3rd, you must go back to January of this year. When again, a handful of House Republicans made Kevin McCarthy literally beg to be what they had unanimously elected him to be, which was their leader. This is not a point that gets made very often, but I think it is worth making. When Kevin McCarthy ran for minority leader in 2020, uh, Republicans didn't have a majority, so he ran for minority leader in 2020. Everyone supported him. Literally every single member of the conference. Every one of them voted for him. He did not have a detractor. And so you may be asking yourself, okay, well, what did he do in those two years between the time everyone voted for him and then January of this year when we had that fiasco with 15 rounds or however many rounds it was? Well, what he did is he went out and made sure Nancy Pelosi was defeated. He retook the House. He retook the House for the second time. People wonder about the difference between Republicans and Democrats and the way they treat one another. Nancy Pelosi lost control of the House twice. Twice she had to hand over the speaker's gavel. And she is lionized. She is revered by House Democrats, even though she squandered the majority twice. McCarthy actually won the majority twice. And all of a sudden, that's not good enough for the for the crazy eight. 
Sometimes we gloss over numbers and we don't let them sink in, which is why I try to avoid using numbers and percentages. And I, I just numbers are just. I mean, it's hard to thirty percent of this. I mean, I I don't like to do it. But here it's unavoidable, and, and the numbers aren't complicated, or else I wouldn't understand them. Ninety-five percent of House Republicans wanted Kevin McCarthy to remain the speaker. Ninety-five percent. Stop and think. Ronald Reagan is the last Republican president to have what we consider to be a mandate. You know, a mandate. There's no like hard and fast rule for the definition of the word mandate, but kind of an unofficial rule is more than 55 percent of the popular vote creates a mandate. Kevin McCarthy had 95 percent of House Republicans wanted him to remain the speaker. And look, that includes folks that maybe didn't vote like him. It includes folks who maybe had a different idea about how we should prioritize this, prioritize that. It's just they're mature enough to understand it's a broader family than just whatever their perspective happens to be. And we're going to get in that in just a second. But the Republican conference is not a monolith. But I digress. Ninety five percent House Republicans wanted Kevin McCarthy to remain the speaker among them, notably the gentleman from Ohio, Jim Jordan, who, for my money, for my money, the most reliably, authentically conservative member of the House certainly was when I was there. Um, I would put John Ratcliffe up there um, as well. But Jim Jordan, anyone who thinks that they have more battle scars to show for being conservative, more media drive-by hits, more Democrat detractors than Jimmy Jordan um, is deluding themselves. And yet here is Jim Jordan, for my money, the most reliably, authentically conservative member of the House. Jordan is the one who nominated Kevin McCarthy, nominated him in January. And look, I know both those guys. First of all, Jim Jordan would not have done it if he had not believed it. But even if someone were to convince you that he would have done it, you could tell by the speech. You go back and listen to the speech. It is vintage Jordan. It is authentic. If he didn't believe it, he wouldn't have done it. So it wasn't like somebody had a gun to his head. He nominated Kevin McCarthy. It was a very, very well done nominating speech by one of the more popular, well-respected members of the House. And then after that, he worked alongside him. That does not mean they voted the same way. I can think of votes where they went separate ways. But again, Jordan has the maturity. Jordan has the humility to know that he in Ohio does not represent every congressional district in New York, in California, or swing districts in Texas. He understands that. So his like rule of acceptance is not unconditional accord. You don't have to agree with him every time for him to be able to support you. So he nominated him repeatedly, by the way, stood by him through all 15 rounds, voted with him often but not always, and defended him to the bitter end. The bitter end, October the 3rd, is when the Crazy Eight took out Kevin McCarthy, and there was Jim Jordan, who some of them professed to be their political messiah. Some of them, they love to talk positively about Jim Jordan. They just don't have enough respect for his opinion to actually follow it. 
There's Jordan defending McCarthy to the bitter end. And he watched as people who claimed to be disciples of his went and did the most unconservative thing you can possibly do, which is go link hands and join arms with the Rashida Talibs of the world. So if you want to understand, and I think people do, people are honestly, genuinely trying to understand why these eight did what they did. I'm afraid you're going to need to go study abnormal psychology, not politics. I don't, politics doesn't help you understand this. The politics is not good. Uh, the House looks feckless. It's not a good time to be feckless. Uh, they are uh, careening towards uh, a majority in desperate search for the minority. They're, they're just careening towards being in the minority. So it doesn't make a lot of political sense. If you are a student of abnormal psychology, it does make sense. Burn your own, jeopardize the majority, shut down the House for weeks. It, it, it admittedly is a really poor political plan, but it is what narcissists do. So you go pull up a book on abnormal psychology. You can, in particular, look up something called the dark triad. And you will find these people who crave attention no matter what. They crave relevance, even if it's manufactured. They actually delight in hurting other people, including their own. They are textbook narcissists. We'll be right back with more of the Trey Gowdy podcast. Why is it that with sparkling water, I'm always playing guessing games with what flavor I'm drinking? Is it citrus? Is it aluminum can flavored? Mm, not sure. Sparkling ice, though, they really mean flavor. Like in-your-face flavor. Orange mango, black raspberry. Don't even get me started on the strawberry lemonade. Kiwi Strawberry slid right into my Taste Buds DMs last night and let them know who's boss. No subtleties there and no sugar either. But it does have vitamins and antioxidants. Find sparkling ice at a major grocery store or club retailer near you. Sparkling ice. Anything but subtle. Don't just ride the index, seek to outperform it with Fidelity Active ETFs. Learn more at fidelity.com slash active ETFs. Before investing in any exchange-traded fund, you should consider its investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Contact Fidelity for a prospectus, an offering circular, or if available, a summary prospectus containing this information. Read it carefully. While active ETFs offer the potential to outperform an index, these products may more significantly trail an index as compared with passive ETFs. Fidelity Brokerage Services, LLC, member NYSE, SIPC. The crazy eight committed a political homicide on Speaker McCarthy because they could, because they could. And the only jury they cared about, the most extreme faction within the conservative media and the base, would applaud it. Uh, their ringleader had and continues to have a personal grudge against Kevin McCarthy. Uh, McCarthy says it's about an ethics investigation with allegations of sexual impropriety, among other serious allegations. I, I, I don't know. I'm not there anymore. I was on House Ethics, but this postdates me. It happened after I left. I don't know the why. I just know the what. Um, he hates Kevin McCarthy. Not a psychiatrist, not going to pretend to be one. I can't tell you why some people cannot stand to see others do well. I cannot tell you why some people are motivated by malice. I, I, I can't tell you. And this is like after uh, a decade as a homicide prosecutor. I, I can't tell you why people do malevolent things. For those of you who read Billy Budd in junior high or high school uh, by Herman Melville, if memory serves me correctly, you will recall a character named John Claggart. And John Claggart hated Billy Budd 
because Billy Budd was everything he was not. Billy Budd was loved by his fellow sailors. So Claggart hated Billy Budd so much, he was willing to risk his own life to destroy Billy Budd. And in the, in the end, they both died. One died with virtue. The other, John Claggart, is in the ranks of the Judas Iscariots of the world, people who betray others for no reason. I'm not a psychiatrist. I can just tell you this only makes sense if you read a book on abnormal psychology. There was no plan for the morning after defrocking the speaker or the week after or two weeks after or now closing in on perhaps even a month after. There have been three candidates since they defrocked Kevin McCarthy. The aforementioned Congressman Jim Jordan, uh, Stevie Scalise uh, from Louisiana, and Austin Scott from Georgia. Three so far. By the time you hear this, there'll be a half dozen or more. I want to focus on Congressman Jordan and Congressman Scalise for a moment. Uh, no offense to Congressman Scott. He he was a member of the freshman class when I got there. Um, I like I like him a lot. But I want to focus on Congressman Jordan and Scalise for a moment. Both uh, very good men, very good members. Um, they, too, in essence, have been vanquished as collateral victims of the Gang of Eight's drive-by shooting of Kevin McCarthy. They, they shot him, uh, for which they were quite pleased. What they failed to recognize was the damage they did to others, the collateral damage, the collateral consequences um, in a battle that was and remains deeply personal. So if you were wondering what happened to Steve Scalise and what happened to Jim Jordan, it is the natural, probable consequence of what they did to Kevin McCarthy. So now we're up to three victims. I'm not even including you among the victims, the American people who would like to like see the House majority do something other than what it's done for the last three weeks. These are three direct victims. So what I say to my friends on the right who are genuinely puzzled by what is happening, uh, we have the right to be disappointed. We have the right to be angry. We have the right to be frustrated. But we should not be surprised. When you live by the sword, you oftentimes die by the sword. So for us to fully understand what is happening and why, there's one thing we're going to have to sort out. And that is, what exactly is a speaker? What do we expect from a Speaker of the House. What does the Speaker actually do? What powers does the Speaker have? I hear my colleagues on television talking about the role of the Speaker, and I must have served in a different body. By the way, almost none of them have ever held any political office, much less been in the House. So how they are so well acquainted with what a Speaker actually does, both on paper and in practice, I don't know. I, I was there for eight years. I had a good relationship with all the speakers and the candidates for speaker and the committee chairs and the others in, in leadership. So I think I do understand both in, on paper and in practice what we expect a speaker to do. But you have to understand what it is the speaker does 
to understand why they did what they did to Kevin McCarthy and why we are still dealing with the collateral consequences. And you can include Congressman Jim Jordan and Congressman Steve Scalise in the collateral damage of the drive-by shooting of Kevin McCarthy. The Speaker, first and foremost, sets the agenda. But the Speaker cannot reward or punish The speaker has no real influence and almost no power. There are no earmarks left to dole out. And that's probably a good thing. I mean, we'll save that for another conversation. You know, earmarks have everything to do with how the money is spent. It doesn't have much of anything to do with how much money is appropriated. So say we have $100. Earmarks mean your member of Congress, your congressman or your senator decides how to spend that money. No earmarks means that $100 is spent probably by the executive branch, the president. So that's the difference. But people don't like earmarks. It's one of those one of those things that just when we hear it, it has kind of like plea bargaining. Um, The feds call it plea negotiations and nobody has a problem with it. The state calls it plea bargaining. Everybody hates it. It's the exact same thing. Congressionally directed spending is, in fact, an earmark. You call it congressionally directed spending. You sit there and think, well, yeah, I'd rather my member of Congress direct spending than the Biden administration. But when you call it earmark, nobody likes it. Be that as it may, we don't have them anymore. So there are no earmarks to dole out. There's no money for this district or that district. Committee assignments. The speaker does have a role in populating committee assignments, but it's really done by a steering committee. The speaker is on that committee. The speaker has an outsized influence on that committee, but the speaker alone cannot put anyone on a committee except two intelligence and ethics. But appropriations and financial services and ways and means and energy and commerce, there's a steering committee that decides all that. Yes, the speaker is on the committee, but the speaker could desperately want candidate X and he would be outvoted every single time by the other members of the steering committee. The speaker is a spokesperson of sorts, although I want you to keep in mind, there are many, many members of Congress who go on television much more often than the speaker. I mean, I used to hear the frustration Back when I was there, people would stop me at the grocery store or church, wherever people stop you, and say, why don't y'all just have a press conference? You should tell Boehner to have a press conference. You should tell Eric Canner. You should tell Paul Ryan to have a press conference. Um, they had a lot of press conferences. They didn't all get covered. Uh, and you can't control what gets covered out of a press conference. But but think now. You There are members of Congress that you see 10 times as much on television as you saw Kevin McCarthy. So even if he were supposed to be a spokesperson, you've got all these other people out there spreading a different message. I like the chairman from uh, Kentucky, Chairman Comer. I think I read a story over the weekend that he had been on Fox News 200 times. I can tell you Kevin McCarthy has not been on Fox News 200 times. So, yes, the speaker is expected to meet with the media. But when you have, you know, 217 horses all pulling in different directions, I I don't know what the message is supposed to be. There are plenty of members that are on television much more frequently than the Speaker of the House. And this is where it gets 
the stuff that I think people miss, and they have a right to be upset about it. They have a right to not like it, but you don't have a right to ignore it. The speaker raises a lot of money, and the speaker shares that money with others so they can be reelected. Right now, Democrats are targeting the most vulnerable Republicans in next fall's general election right now. So let me ask you, do you know who those vulnerable Republicans are? What we call the majority makers? Do you know their districts? Do you know what they need to be reelected? What issues are most important to the voters in upstate New York or in an agricultural district in California? And by the way, you know, South Carolina, Alabama, uh, Georgia, Florida, those really aren't the majority makers. Republicans are in pretty good shape in those states. It's those swing districts, those 20 to 30 swing congressional districts that are called the majority makers. Do you know which ones they are? Do you know what those members need to be reelected? Do you know how expensive TV ads are in those districts? Do you know how many media markets are in those districts? And the answer is probably not. You're not supposed to know. So probably not. But Kevin McCarthy does. And before him, Ryan did and Boehner did. And the the really bona fide candidates for speaker right now know because you have to know because there is no Republican speaker without a majority. And the majority does not run through red states that are going to elect Republicans no matter what. It runs through swing states and swing districts. I mean, you go back to last fall, New York and California are why Nancy Pelosi is retired. Not Alabama. California and New York. The speaker's job is to keep the majority, because without that, you can. You can sometimes do good things, but you can almost always stop bad things. So the number one job a speaker has is to make sure his or her party retains the majority because everything in the house is based on having the majority the chairpersons which means the subpoenas the investigations the floor calendar the floor agenda all of that is controlled by the party in power a, a, a minority senator a single senator does have a little bit of juice a minority member of the house has nothing nothing so it all comes down to the majority. Who, What speaker candidate can do the best job of maintaining the majority? You know, the night the GOP retook the House last November, I said expectations are the key. What is a reasonable expectation if you have the House but don't have the Senate and don't have the White House? I mean, if you have all three, your expectations should be really high. If you don't have all three, your expectations should be really realistic. So who can do all of that? Who can do all of what we know a speaker is required to do? Some people can handle the TV part, but they can't handle the fundraising. You know, I'll digress and tell a story. Um, Paul Ryan did not want to be the Speaker of the House. Period. Period. New paragraph. The so-called House conservatives uh, back then did not uh, like Kevin McCarthy, although immediately after the vote, they realized they'd made a huge mistake and they tried to undo it. But the damage had been done. So they kept Kevin from moving up when Boehner left. But 
They didn't have a plan. So Paul Ryan was far and away the most popular, well-respected member of the conference. He didn't want to do it. He wanted to remain the chair. I think he was chair of Ways and Means at the time. He had been chairman of budget. I think I'm right about that. But he, he loved, he, he's a policy guy. He, he's, a, he's a like a college professor trapped in the House of Representatives. He's a policy person. And I remember sitting on, on the floor beside him, trying to cajole him into taking a job he did not want to take. And the number one thing he brought up as to why he did not want to take it is he did not want to spend every free moment he had on an airplane going to raise money, the amount of money it would take to hold on to the house. He had children at home. He had other things he was interested in doing in Wisconsin, and he did not want to be. I remember it like it was yesterday. He looked at me and said, I do not want to spend my life on an airplane. That's what the speaker did. Boehner wasn't much of a flyer in August when the members uh, would go home. Some would go on vacation. Some would go back to their districts and do town halls. And by the way, there's nothing wrong with going on family vacation. So most of them worked in August. They just didn't work in Washington. But be that as it may, Boehner got on a bus. Boehner got on a bus and he traveled the country raising money for people with really short memories, some of whom later undid him. Ryan raised money for members with really short memories some of whom criticized him at the end, or certainly do now. So that's what the speaker does. Some people can handle parts of it. Some people can't handle the other parts. Some people are policy geniuses, but they're incapable of holding a press conference. Some people cannot bring others together. What I mean by that is, is this. The speaker has to understand the different groups that exist within the Republican conference. And and this, quite candidly, is where it does benefit to have, to have actually been there. Because when I hear other people on television talk about it or podcast or wherever people get their news now, they act like the House is some monolith, that every member of the House is like Jim Jordan from Ohio, or every member of the House is like Carlos Jimenez from from Miami, when they represent two very, very different districts. So what are those different groups within the Republican conference? Well, you have primary district Republicans. You have Republicans who are in districts where a Democrat cannot win. The only way they can lose is in a primary. And the only way you can lose a primary is if somebody comes at you from the right. So that's Probably the majority of the districts in the Republican conference, you're not going to lose in November, but you may lose in June. And you're not going to lose because somebody says, gosh, you're too reasonable. You're going to lose because someone says you're not conservative enough. You're not whatever enough. You don't fight enough. Somebody's going to come from the right. And that, that's a large group of Republicans in the House that are in what we call primary districts. And then you have a couple of dozen Republicans who are in what we call November districts, where the primary may be a fight, but the real fight is in the general election. I mean, how many Republicans are in districts that Biden won? 20? I, I don't know the number, but it's enough that you wouldn't have the majority if you did not have those members. 
So how you run in a district in rural Alabama is different from the way you run in a district in New York or California. What interests the voters is different. You have chairpersons. That's a whole separate psychological subset. Members who chair committees, but they're within the Republican family. They have they have their interests. They it may be that they want to see the committees more powerful. They want to decentralize power. So now we're up to three different parts of the family. You have libertarians. Now they huddle up with the Republicans. They come and eat breakfast with the Republicans. For purposes of getting on a committee, they call themselves Republicans, but for the most part, they're libertarians. And there's nothing in the world wrong with that. I mean, you should, whatever your district wants you to be is what you should be. But do not confuse the libertarians within the Republican conference with the chairpersons in the Republican conference. Two totally separate groups with separate agendas. And then you have what's becoming an increasingly large part of the conference, and it's what I call the Kardashians, uh, those members who really don't care about anything except being well-known. For, for them, everything is about being on television. They dress for TV. Their social media is designed for TV. They are self-aggrandizing, not for the betterment of the party, but for themselves. You know, their dresses, their suits, their tops make the news, but rarely their ideas. Rarely their ideas. They talk about their sex lives at prayer breakfasts. They live out their sex lives at musicals. And there's no consequence because fame is what they want and fame is what their constituents want. And as long as you can enable me to say my member of Congress is famous, you know, my dad used to tell me there is such thing as bad publicity. There really is. I mean, if you want publicity, you can go rob a bank, but that's bad publicity. I'm not sure there is in politics anymore. I mean, who wants a hardworking member of Congress who takes his or her job seriously when you can have one who is belittled on a national scale? So be known or get gone. Those are your options. And then there's another group, green. Don't you think about the color green? You know how on election night the next the networks will show the map, the map of the country in blue and red. There should actually be another color, green, because it is a party unto it, it itself. And I don't mean the green party. I mean appropriators. Appropriators control the money. So. Green is the color there. And if you go back and look at the vote total for uh, Chairman Jordan, um, he lost, um, I would say, a surprisingly large number of appropriators. And I say surprising because they generally they generally are expected to go along and get along. It is the folks on the right who uh scream the loudest, get the most attention, and typically insist on having their way. Appropriators usually go along and get along. They, they may grit their teeth, they may bite their lip, but they do it. Not this time. So, we'll go back to October the 3rd. We've got to figure out, and again, the purpose here is to understand what is happening and why it has happened. Go back to October the 3rd. What was Kevin accused of doing? Well, he was accused of supporting a continuing resolution. That, by the way, others also supported. I think it was a 45-day CR to avoid a shutdown, which the GOP most assuredly would have been blamed for. 
that was his unpardonable sin. That was the sin from which for which he is deserving of the political death penalty to be defrocked, removed from the speakership. Uh, then you had some some small minded, unserious thinkers uh, complain about not putting bills on the floor when, in fact, they were the reason the bills did not make it to the floor. I mean, you you honestly cannot make this stuff up. If this happened at your place of business, if this happened in your family, you would be livid. You would be livid. And you would be begging someone to please explain the logic to you to blame the leaders for not putting bills on the floor when you yourself voted against putting the bill on the floor. How does that make sense? Kevin, we're going to blame you for not putting the appropriations bills on the floor, but we're also going to gang together and vote against a rule to keep the bill from coming to the floor. The other thing that kind of defies logic, if you are a fan of logic, if you are a fan of logic, he was accused of working with Democrats. Like almost immediately before eight Republicans work with Democrats, he was accused of working with Democrats to pass that 45 day CR when the crazy eight then turned around and linked arms with Rashida Tlaib and Ilhan Omar and Adam Schiff and Jamal Bowman and Nancy Pelosi and Jerry Nadler. Some complained about debt and deficits, and no doubt, no doubt, spending is out of control. It's been out of control. It was out of control under Republican presidents. We have run a deficit, no matter how good revenue is. We've run a deficit uh, since what? Since the turn of this century? I mean, we've been running deficits. I can think of one year where there was not a deficit, but the debt, the cumulative effect of the deficits, the debt, is in the $30 trillion range. So some complained justifiably about spending, but they swallowed their whistles when Republican presidents were increasing the deficit and the debt. So my point is, if you're upset about spending more than you bring in, you should be upset no matter who's got the credit card. I mean, if you really, really do think that our fiscal state is the greatest threat that we face. And you may be right. H- how is the debt more palatable if it's a Republican president raising the, the, the debt as opposed to a Democrat? You, you should say, look, I'm tired of spending. I'm tired of spending no matter who does it. I don't care which credit card you use, and I don't care what you spend it on. I'm tired of deficit spending. But that's not what they did. They were terrified to take on a GOP president. Terrified. So they went along with deficit spending. And now, now, not only do they care about balancing the books, they care about balancing the books enough to take out somebody that was supported by 98% of the conference. Moreover, not to dwell on this, but what drives our debt, our deficit, uh, is mandatory spending. Social Security, Medicare, Medicaid. That is not my opinion. That is a fact. But you don't hear those members who complain about debt and deficits talking about entitlement spending. I mean, the car is out of gas and they're complaining about what songs on the radio. Imagine being on a plane that's going down and the person next to you says, Hey, will you switch seats with me? I like the aisle better. That's what those members are like. If you are really concerned about debt and deficit and spending, then you've got to be talking about mandatory spending. And most of them are not. In fact, very few of them are. We'll be right back with more of the Trey Gowdy podcast. 
Now at Top Golf, you get half off golf Monday through Wednesday when you book in the app. It could be any Monday, Tuesday, or Wednesday. Like this Monday, next Tuesday, and the following Wednesday. Or maybe this Wednesday, next Tuesday, and the Monday after that. Basically, any Monday, Tuesday, or Wednesday is a good day, as long as you spend it at Top Golf. It's golf. It's half off. It's half off golf. Monday through Wednesday when you book in the app for a limited time only. So download the Top Golf app, book a bay, and come play around. Restrictions and exclusions may apply. Visit topgolf.com slash halfoffgolf for details. The Hunter Biden subpoena. Do you remember that? Do you remember the crazy eight talking about the Hunter Biden subpoena that Kevin McCarthy should be removed as Speaker of the House because he did not send a subpoena to Hunter Biden? Breaking news. The Speaker does not send subpoenas. Do you know who sends subpoenas? The chairman of the committee. Have you heard of Jim Jordan or James Comer or Mike Turner? Have you heard them complain that they wanted to send a subpoena and Kevin blocked it? Jim is the chairman of judiciary. Chairman Comer is the chairman of oversight. Chairman Turner is the chairman of Intel. They're all three powerful voices that are not afraid to speak up. If Kevin McCarthy was the reason that they were not able to send a subpoena to Hunter Biden, you would have known about it. But but of course he was not. And the reason they didn't send a subpoena is because you can't. You send a subpoena to somebody who is under federal indictment, you may as well send it to the Pope. They're not coming. They're not talking. They're under criminal indictment. And there's nothing you can do about it. So when I heard we're mad at you for not sending a subpoena to Hunter Biden, mad enough to get rid of you, and yet we're all going to turn around and vote for the guy who's the chairman of the committee that actually would have sent the subpoena to Hunter Biden. That's when you know it's personal. That's when you know it is illogical, it is pretextual, and it is personal. Because they are actually blaming McCarthy for something, and let me be really clear, Jim Jordan sending a subpoena to Hunter Biden would not change a single solitary thing. Not a thing. Hunter Biden's not coming. He's not talking. You're not getting documents. He's under indictment. You're not getting any of that. But that they brought it up. The crazy eight brought it up. You didn't send a subpoena to Hunter Biden. And yet they turned around and voted for the guy who's the chair of the committee that would have sent the subpoena to Hunter Biden. Then they complained that Kevin took money from lobbyists. This is where you have to almost have to be there to understand the hypocrisy of that. Complain that Kevin took money from lobbyists, and yet the members take money from Kevin, including members of the Crazy Eight, take money from Kevin. Most of the members who complain about taking that money once took it themselves. They only stopped because their online giving operation was up to speed and they didn't need it anymore. It certainly wasn't about principle. Most members on both sides take PAC money. I think the most you can get from a PAC is $5,000. And the PACs, at least when I was there, it would be workers at Boeing or workers at Caterpillar or workers at fill-in-the-blank who decided to pull their money together. Instead of giving individual $50 or $100, they pulled their money so they could give the maximum which you you can give, which is $5,000. So those complaints, we we complain about you raising money, but yet we're going to take the money that you raised so we can get elected, so we can then complain about you taking the money. I want to say this. um, Jim Jordan was one of my favorite colleagues. I did not know uh, Steve Scalise as well because we were not on 
committees together. I thought the world of Steve Scalise, but I knew Congressman Jordan better because we were on two committees together full time. And twice I picked him to be on committees when I got to make the selections. The two times the speaker came and said, I want you to run this little special thing we have going on. And I said to both of them, I need to pick some of the folks on it. Not all of them, but some of them. And I want to pick Jim Jordan. So every time I had a chance to draft him, I drafted him. He's been to South Carolina for me. I went to Ohio. I met his wife, Polly, who is one of the kindest, nicest, most decent, authentic people you will ever meet. Met his children. They're smart. They're hardworking. They're good people. His daughter is a really, really good golfer. So, you know, Jim, who was a really, really good athlete, wanted to get into golf, and he was getting into golf. He just he's not patient enough for golf, and he works too hard to be a good golfer. So, you know, people talk about the old and the new Jim Jordan, and I guess I know what they're talking about. I, I'm just not sure there is an old or new Jordan. I mean, I get their point. I just I don't think there is an old and a new Jim Jordan. But if there there is, I liked both of them. The nominating speech by Jordan for McCarthy was personal and it was professional. And then when the tables were reversed and Kevin endorsed and supported Jim, it was the same thing. They respect each other. They like each other. It is a shame that Jim supporters, some of them, did not have enough respect for his opinion to actually follow it. It's a shame. It's a shame the residual disdain that most members feel for the crazy eight is continuing to hamstring the House, especially their disdain, deep disdain, for the leader of the crazy eight. I cannot, cannot overstate the amount of deep-seated animus that exists for the uh, self-appointed leader of the crazy eight. And it has nothing to do with ideology or conservatism. Scores of members are more conservative in their uh, public and private lives uh, than that particular member of Congress. It's personal between he and McCarthy. Kevin won 95 percent of the conference. The leader of the Crazy Eight is by far the least well-respected member of the conference. Now, again, has nothing to do with policy, nothing to do with convictions. He is not respected for uh, reasons of character by people in the conference. You know, there's a difference between being popular and being respected. The leader of the Crazy Eight, in my judgment, is neither. John Ratcliffe was more conservative when he was in the House, and he was universally liked and respected. Thomas Massey from Kentucky, more conservative, better liked, more respected. Warren Davidson from Ohio, more conservative, better liked, more respected. So it has nothing to do with conviction or conservatism. It has everything to do with character. So John Claggard and the seven others thought they knew better than the 95%. Jim went to the floor three times. He lost at least 20 Republican votes each time. Kevin lost eight. Eight, and he is done. So at some point, uh, the fever will cool. The revenge will be satisfied. Or perhaps, as Edmund Dante has learned in The Count of Monte Cristo, uh, revenge leaves you unsatisfied. It hurts you as much as the person you are trying to hurt. 
they will eventually get a speaker. That speaker will disappoint someone because it's a hard job and you're bound to do so. And then whoever is elected speaker, I fear, will not be there long. The election is coming. The American people are going to weigh in on whether the current GOP conference is deserving of continued leadership. Um, But there will be some in the crazy eight that will not care. It was about attention and fame and notoriety, and they will find all of that in the minority. The minority will be bad for you if you're a Republican, if you're a conservative, but it'll be okay for them. How did we get here? Well, uh, as we close, I want you to engage in a little thought experiment. Right now, I want you to think about who the five most influential people are in Republican circles or in what some call the conservative movement. Use whatever word you want to use. We'll save for another day the debate between what is conservatism and what is populism. For now, I'm going to let you decide. And I just want you to think about who the five most popular voices are, the ones who control reactions, the ones who kind of let you know whether or not you should uh, support Ukraine, the ones the, the, the ones who always have an opinion about Almost everything, and they get a disproportional amount of play. Who are those five? And I'll bet you not a single one of them is in the House, the Senate, governor's mansion. I'll bet you most of them have never been elected to any office at all. Obviously, Donald Trump is on that list. He has been. He's run. I wonder if the other four that you're thinking about right now, if we're being honest about it, I wonder if they've ever even run. I mean, they're in the media, they're on TV, they're internet personalities, they're podcast hosts. And I'll just tell you this, um, with all respect and humility, um, I've done both. I've been in politics, and now I talk about politics. Talking is much, much easier. You never have to vote, never have to do anything. You just get to say what you would have done. You talk, you criticize, and when you're Leaders aren't in office rather than well-known talkers. Then you're going to get a party that values talk and fame. When your leaders don't run for office, don't know what it's like to be in office, don't care enough about it to run for office, they just want to talk. Then you're going to get a party that really, really puts a premium on talking and fame. That, in the long run, might be an even bigger problem than not having a speaker. I'll see you next week. Listen ad-free with a Fox News Podcast Plus subscription on Apple Podcasts. And Amazon Prime members can listen to this show ad-free on the Amazon Music app. 